Morning, everyone. I, am, I feel smiley and happy today. It's been such a good day. I've had like three doses of just awesome worship being in God's presence. So, whew, the tank is full. Well, uh, just let me extend my welcome to you if you're here uh, as a guest. It's great to have you with us. And uh, as, as these guys said, we are just slightly nuts here. We love Jesus. We love expressing it. And um, you're just so welcome here. And just to say, you're also really welcome to have questions as well. I know when you first come to church, it can be kind of, you may throw out all sorts of questions for you, and that's brilliant. We would just love to kind of connect with you. We've got a team that's out in the foyer afterwards. We'd love to meet you, um, answer any questions you might have, and uh, just to say thanks for, thanks for being with us today. Well, listen, we are going to get straight into it. Um, next Sunday is our Gift Sunday which at least three people are excited about at the moment, but that's okay. By the end, we will all be excited. So um, if you've been here over the last few weeks, you will have heard us talking about um, the, some of the things that we're going after together as a church. Once a year, it's been our pattern for many years as we have a gift Sunday where we come together, we bring our, our offerings and we put them together towards what we feel God's put in front of us as a church family. And so next Sunday, we're looking to raise 170,000 pounds. Come on, Jesus, let's have some more. Um, and so we're excited about that, and I'll say a little bit more about what we're giving to in a little while. But I just want to say this. In the run-up to the gift day, it's not really about the money. When you, when you consider giving and when you look at your own money, God's actually not primarily interested in your money. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to do that by looking at two encounters that Jesus has with two very wealthy, rich individuals in Luke's gospel. And the first encounter is in Luke chapter 18. A young man, we sometimes call him the rich young ruler. He'd heard about Jesus. He wanted to ask Jesus some questions. And so he comes to Jesus one day and says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to this young man, very wealthy young man, he says, well, keep the commandments. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler kind of does this on his chest because he's like, I have kept the law since a young man. I keep the commandments. I'm a good Jewish boy. I have kept the commandments from my youth. And so he thinks, I'm in. This is brilliant. And then here's what Jesus says to him. Verse 22. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus said this, now bear in mind that if you're in this room, all of us are wealthy by worldly standards. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what's impossible for God, for people is possible with God. So here's the first encounter. Rich young ruler goes away sad. A few short verses later in Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters a second very rich, wealthy individual, and he is the vertically challenged tax collector called Zacchaeus. I don't, I don't know what the average height was of a Jewish male in this particular day. In 2013, the average height for a British male was five foot eight and a half, which meant that I was over average. 
So people have got taller since then. I don't know how that's happened. But anyway, Zacchaeus is, is this vertically challenged tax collector who was universally despised and hated by all of his compatriots. Bear in mind that Israel at the time was an occupied nation, occupied by the Roman Empire. And the job of a tax collector was to raise funds for the occupying army. And so, consequently, tax collectors were not very popular at all. They were definitely last on the Christmas card list. And on top of that, tax collectors were known to siphon off some of their collections to keep for themselves. And so, consequently, tax collectors were often very wealthy because they were cheating those that they were getting taxes from. And so this is Zacchaeus. But he has a hunger in his heart to meet Jesus. Even tax collectors need Jesus. Even the tax man, your tax man, he needs Jesus. Pray for them. And so one day Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is passing by in Jericho. He finds a sycamore tree that he's able to climb. <laughs> and he climbs up this sycamore tree to get a good view of Jesus as Jesus passes by. Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, I want to eat in your house today. And then here's what we read. Verse 6 of chapter 19. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has showed himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Two contrasting stories right next door together in your Bibles. Both men rich, both encountered Jesus. But I would suggest to you that in neither story is the real issue money. The real issue in both stories is the heart. It's the heart. And here's the truth. Jesus doesn't need your cash. It all belongs to him anyway. He doesn't need your money. But what he's supremely interested in is having your heart. And that's why the Gospels are full of Jesus teaching about money. Why? Because money is a mirror on your heart. It's a mirror on your soul. How you handle money, how you handle wealth, what you do with your money says a lot about what's going on on the inside. And so Jesus deliberately uses money as a mirror to introduce you to yourself. You just think about money and all the heart issues that come along with it. Fear anxiety, greed, faith, generosity, selfishness, selflessness, love, your priorities, your values, your future plans. All of these issues in the heart come out when you start talking about your money. You cannot escape the fact that your money is a mirror on the values of your heart. And in these two encounters, one man goes away sad because actually he didn't own money. His money owned him. But in another, Zacchaeus, he responds to Jesus with faith. And out of the overflow of a changed heart, he gives generously. Jesus is interested in the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for from it flow all the issues of life. All the issues of life flow from what's inside. Jesus talks about the heart a lot. He says, listen, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
He says, out of the heart, we bring evil things out. Evil is not what happens on the outside. It comes from the inside. Jesus focused on the heart a lot because from it, all the issues of life spring. And this is why Jesus talked about money so much. And for Zacchaeus, his money was a sign of what had happened on the inside of him. His money didn't save him, but his money was a symptom of his salvation. And so here's the question for us today. As we head into the gift day next Sunday, what is your money showing you about your heart? When you look in that particular mirror, what does it reflect back to you? I look in the mirror less these days because what stares back at me is someone who's slightly wrinklier and more gray than he used to be. But when you look in the money mirror, what does it show you about what's going on in here? Because this is what Jesus is supremely interested in. And I want to suggest three, three heart issues that are connected to money that are critical for us to understand. And the first is this, is understanding the heart of the Father. Understanding the heart of the Father. You know, trusting God for provisions is a key fathering issue. And so when Jesus starts to teach us about how to handle money, he does it in the context of God's fathering of us. He connects these two together. Here's the way he puts it in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Notice that Jesus' instructions about not worrying about money are in the context of understanding you have a heavenly father who loves you and he's going to take care of you and he's going to supply your needs according to his riches. Jesus connects these two together and so often financial provision of money is the means by which God shows himself to us. You know, I remember um, in one of the previous gift days in this church quite soon after we arrived here, and, uh, you know, we had that moment like we'll have next week when we, we bring our offerings and we put them together. And so we had that moment as a, as a couple. And uh, we came to the front. I think there was like a lively song playing. We jigged to the front. We put our offering thing in. And we're like, yeah, come on, Jesus. It was a moment of great faith and cheerfulness. And then the very next day, our car died. I don't know if you've ever had that. Like, if you had a moment, you're like, I'm going to be super generous and then something calamitous happens in your life. You're like, Jesus, what's going on? What happened to reap, sowing and reaping? What's going on right now? And so I remember the very next day, the Monday morning after Gift Sunday, the car literally died. We had no money to replace it, no money to fix it. And so it went to the, the, the great scrap heap of cars, wherever that is. And we were just like, Lord, you're going to have to provide. Uh, we, can't, we can't provide a car for ourselves. You're going to have to supply. And so... I think it was a week later on the Tuesday, um, I was just in the offices here for work, and a gentleman comes through, I didn't know him super well, but he came up to me and he said, Phil, he said, I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you, but I was just praying this week, and I felt God say that I should take you out to buy you a car. And I, I was like, you are kidding me, you mean a whole car? <laughs> He's like, yeah, he said, you know, it's going to be a second-hand car, but I'd like to take you out and, and help you buy a car, I'd like to pay for it, would that be a blessing to you? And I was like, my car died a week ago. That was just an amazing moment. And, and here's the thing. It wasn't primarily about the car, but it was the revelation that I received about who the father was. Father, you know my needs and you'll take care of me. 
See, money is a canvas in which God loves to reveal himself. He shows who he is in his eternal nature. This is the way Romans 8 says, uh, puts it. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is a God who's withheld nothing from us. He has given us the person of greatest value, Jesus And Romans 8 says, how will you not also, along with Jesus, take care of everything else in your life? Listen, friends, if you are a Christian here, you have already believed that God will take care of your soul for all of eternity just by believing in him. I would suggest to you that believing him for finances is definitely secondary. You got into the kingdom by believing that Jesus died and rose again. That's your access point into the kingdom. And what Romans 8 is saying, how will he not also graciously give you all things? Because this is what God is like. He's a generous, gracious, faithful father who knows what you need before you even ask him. He is faithful. And when we trust him with money, he loves to reveal himself. And so God invites us to trust him with our money. And what's interesting is that it's very difficult to accurately represent the Father when you don't really trust him. See, our ability to be generous towards others is actually one of the most powerful tools you have to show people what God is really like. So a friend of mine was having a meeting with the bank manager, and he led a church, and he was really looking for an opportunity to share his faith with the bank manager, and so he went in, was trying to strike up some rapport and a conversation to share his faith, and the bank manager just was not interested until they started to look at the church finances together. And the bank manager says, what you mean, all of the finance comes from people voluntarily giving their money into the work and the ministry of the church. And my friend was like, yeah, like people are super generous. They just give their money because they believe in what we're doing, and that's because Jesus is alive. And he's like, tell me more about that. And so suddenly, because God's people are being generous, it's an invitation to see something about what God is like. I'm making the small children cry, talking about generosity. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's fine. And so as we head into next week into our gift day, here are just like three challenges off the back of this point. Here's challenge number one. If you're in this church and you've never given anything, My challenge to you is, give something. Give something. Just start. Give something. You know, I I loved Steve Wilson's story the other week where he said as a young believer, he remembers the moment where he took out a 20-pound note for the first time and thought, I'm in the big leagues now. I'm putting a note into the offering. (laughs) And for him, that was a massive step. It was a genuine step of faith as someone who was starting his journey of giving. I love that story so much because it was someone who wasn't giving anything and thought, actually, I'd like to give something. That is so beautiful. That is so powerful. And so it may be that if you're here today and you've never given anything, the giving challenge for you is start somewhere, give something. And it really doesn't matter what. Again, it's not about the money, it's about your heart. Challenge number two, and by the way, When Carol and I come to a gift day, here's what we do. We pray as a couple and we ask God for a figure to give and then we usually go with Carol's figure because it's higher. 
Okay, that's the way, that's the way we tend to do it in our, in our family. So I hope that helps some couples out there as you pray about gift day. Just, just go with your wife's number is, what, is, my, is my advice. Um, secondly, second giving challenge is if you give occasionally, then start giving regularly. I think some of us as Christians, we're kind of, um, we're what I would call moved by the spirit givers. Which means that if you feel moved in a moment, you think, oh, I'm going to be generous now because I feel moved. And that's lovely. That's brilliant. We should do that. But I would suggest to you that there's great power in moving from occasional giving to regular giving. Where you say, I'm, actually, I'm going to set up a standing order to, to give to this person, to give to that thing. That's a very powerful moment when you make decisions to give regularly. Yeah, a few years ago, we opened up the opportunity for people to give into our apostolic fund, which helps reach unreached people groups. And so I think it was five or six years ago, I, I just, I, Karen and I decided we're going to give £20 a month to that on top of our normal giving. And so that's about £240 a year. And we've been doing it for five or six years. I've lost count of how many. And it just goes out every month, which means that over the course of five or six years, just by taking one small decision to give regularly into that, we have been able to sow into planting churches in the Middle East and into unreached parts of the world. Hello, my friend. Okay, this is, this is, this is our next preacher. Here we go. Do you want to give everyone a little wave? Give everyone to wave, wave on the camera. This is probably a mistake because he's going to want to do this all the time now. Yeah, there you go. Brilliant. There's your mama. There you go. All right. <laughs> so if you give occasionally, why don't you decide to give regularly? There's great power in that. And thirdly, here's the challenge. If you give regularly already, why don't you ask God what radical generosity looks like? Oh, that gets a bit scary, doesn't it? Radical generosity. What does that look like for you in this season? Again, just a quick story. Before we moved to Bedford, we... Um, we, we were moving down from Newcastle in the northeast of England down to Bedford. House prices here at the time were at least £100,000 more expensive than where we were living. And so <laughs> and I moved down on the same salary that I was getting in Newcastle when I came here. And so there was something of a faith gap <laughs> as we were moving here. Anybody had that experience, the faith gap experience? Numbers of us, yeah. And, um, and so we had a gift day in the north uh, of England where we were living before we moved. And Carol was praying one day, and all we had in our bank account at the time was 300 pounds. And she felt the Lord say to her, if you give me 300, I'll give you 30,000. And so she came to me, she's like, I don't know if this is the Lord, but what do you think, Phil? <laughs> she's like, I feel like God says, if we give him our 300, he'll give us 30,000. I was like, I think it might be the Lord. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> And so we wrote the check for 300 quid and then it came to the gift day the next Sunday and we, again, we did the jig to the front. We put in our 300 pounds and um, kind of just on a wing and a prayer like, Jesus, that we're trusting you. And then over the next two years, we were given over 30,000 pounds, which enabled us to move into the house that we're now in in Bedford, like miraculously. And all I can say to you is when you make faith-based decisions to move into radical generosity, God's got your back. He has got your back. You can't outgive God. That's what I've discovered through the years. You can never outgive Him. And so the first thing here is giving is actually about the heart of the Father. Second one is it's about the heart of faith. And cover this very quickly, but notice that in these two stories, both men feel a sense of conviction about their money and their lifestyle. The rich young ruler 
feels this deep sense of conviction, but it says he went away sad because he was a man of great wealth. In other words, his money owned him rather than him owning money. And he couldn't part with his money when Jesus challenged him, but he felt that stinging sense of conviction. I need to change, but I can't. On the other hand, you have Zacchaeus, who hears the challenge of Jesus and instantly says, I'm putting my money where my heart is. I'm going to give it to the poor. Here's the thing. Only one of those men operated with faith, and it was Zacchaeus. Both felt conviction, but faith ultimately is a verb. It's something that we do. Conviction is something we feel, but faith is something that we do. And I would suggest to you that sometimes when it comes to money, we content ourselves with the feeling of conviction without the corresponding act of faith to do something with what you feel. One man walked away sad. The other man said, salvation has come to my house today. Faith requires action. In fact, James says, without, faith without deeds is dead. Faith without deeds is dead. And so just a simple instruction that might help some of you. You might just even right now want to set an alarm on your phone for, I don't know, four o'clock this afternoon before Man United play Liverpool. Notice, gentlemen, I took you into my consideration when I said four o'clock. Four o'clock, just set an alarm so that it goes off and you think, what's this alarm for? Ah, this is the moment to turn conviction into action. This is a moment where I can think about my money. I could think maybe about setting up a standing order. I could take a moment just to pray and say, God, what do you want me to give? I could turn the feeling that I had when I was sitting, listening to Phil in King's house into actual faith and do something with what I've heard. Jesus says, a wise man built his house on the rock. He heard the word of God and he did something with what he heard. Don't walk away sad because you got convicted but did nothing about it. Sorry, it's got really quiet in here. I apologize. And then lastly, our attitude towards money is actually about the heart of belonging to family. About family. Here's my family. Crazy family that we are. And Zacchaeus in this moment where he gave his money, he suddenly found himself immersed into a new family. He was giving into a family that he was now part of. And we always give to what we feel we belong to. Now, many of you are going to find this really sad, I know, but I'm a member of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club. Hey, come on, Nick. So every year, I pay £30 for the privilege of being a member of Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club, and it means I get priority purchase on my tickets. It means that once a year, I get a pen and a badge sent through the post. <laughs> it's so sad, I know, but I love it. Why do I do that? Why do I invest 30... Uh, Nick, he's even got a Brian Hope Alpian hat. Can everyone just turn over to this gentleman over here? He's just showing class and discernment. Um, I do that because, weirdly, I feel a sense of belonging to this weird tribe of Brighton and Hove Albion fans. And so I put my money there. A little bit of money. Not much money, but a little bit. And it's the same in family. My brother recently turned 40, and so our family all clubbed together to get him a bigger present than we could have done on our own. And that's what families do. They come together, they pull their resources to give to people that they love, something they feel they belong to. 
And friends, it's exactly the same in the church. Listen, the church ultimately is the family of God. And we give to what we feel we belong to. It's about the heart of belonging to family. You know, last year at our gift day, we raised £100,000, which is incredible. And that went to all sorts of different things that we were able to do together that we never could have done on our own. So, for example, we contributed to two church plants in the Middle East. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that we contributed towards that together? You may never go to the Middle East, but I tell you, your money has gone there, and people are getting saved as a result of our money enabling stuff to happen. You know, we, we sowed money into our King's Arms project to look after the poor in our community, or our retract project that looks after some of the most needy and vulnerable, again, in our community. You know, it went towards repairing our flat roof, because leaky roofs don't glorify Jesus. I know it's not sexy, but it's important. <laughs> this is what we could do together. I could never have repaired the flat roof with my own finance, but my bit with your bit with your bit with your bit with your bit suddenly enables us to do something for our family home. And that matters. That really matters. And this, this year, again, we're going to be giving into some really, really beautiful things. You know, for example, one of the things we're giving to next week is to start a new location out in Blunham Village. And... In 1665, it's amazing, we've been given a building in Blunham Village, an existing church building. And there's been a church on that particular site in Blunham Village since the year 1665, when it was planted by one of John Bunyan's compatriots. While John Bunyan was in Bedford Jail, writing the Pilgrim's Progress, he began to commission nonconformist church leaders to plant churches around the UK. And one of those was in Blunham Village. A man called John Wright was sent by John Bunyan, 1665, to start the first nonconformist church in Blunham Village. 200 years later, in the 19th century, a man called Charles Spurgeon, one of the most renowned preachers this country has ever produced, went and preached in Blunham Village. 3,000 people turned up in Blunham to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. The building was too small, so they spilled out onto the fields around Blunham Village. You can go to that site today and see the very spot where revival broke out in that community. We've been given that building to carry on the story of revival in the next generation. And by giving my little bit with your little bit, we contribute towards seeing the kingdom increase around us because we belong to a family and we can do more together than we can apart. And I just want to say again what Steve said when uh, he spoke a few weeks ago. God loves a cheerful giver. We really don't want your money. I really don't want your money if you don't want to give it cheerfully. The Bible doesn't say what God thinks about non-cheerful givers. It just leaves that blank. But what we do know is God loves cheerful givers. It almost, it, the, the, the word cheerful means hilarious givers. Those who give with a sense of, ha, don't know what's going to happen, Lord, but here we go. Hilarious, cheerful giving. God loves that. But honestly, we don't want your money. So if you don't want to give, please don't give. But what I would ask you to do is to look in the money mirror and ask you what it shows about your heart. Because that's what God is really interested in. And money is one of the most accurate mirrors of what's really going on on the inside. It's not really about the money. It's about our Father, it's about faith, it's about our family. 
So let's be prayerful as we head into our gift season. Please be praying. Be seeking God together. If you're married, be praying together. Seek God. Say, Jesus, how do you want me to respond? And then act. Step into a moment of faith. Amen. Let's stand, shall we, and let's pray together.